Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part three of episode 23 where we revisit and rank Skyfall. After Silver has met M face to face again, Q tries to hack into Silver's laptop, but might not be such a clever boy about it. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Skyfall to our rankings. Uh, so Bond goes to see Q in the Q branch section of the uh, the bunkers, and he has plugged Silver's laptop in and has got it um, got it like, up on a big screen, analysing his code on there, and he's kind of giving it's a little bit of Hollywood gobbledygook here, a bit of jargon. He's kept it very secure. There's all these uh, fail safe protocols that he's that Silver's put in place that would wipe the data on there if if anyone tries to access it. Uh, but then Q's like uh, Q reveals that it was him who invented that method, so uh, that's all good. And we even get like the the we're in line. <laughs> we've got we've got through. And this the the next few scenes coming up is all kind of a bit interspersed. There's three different things that are going on really. So we have the stuff with Q and Bond. Uh, we do see some shots of Silver, who is still in his cell, obviously. And you start by seeing him. Um, almost meditating as I like sitting on the chair with his arms crossed and just eyes closed. Uh, and then it cuts back to uh, Bond and Q and he's got the code on the screen and they're kind of looking at this big network, like this big literal network of code that's all going on the screen. And equally, we then start seeing M who has got her inquiry and that's beginning. So they're in some you know, big room, M sitting at the table and there's all these people opposite her um ready to go so i think actually they they might start like one of the the ministers in the middle starts the uh the inquiry and then again it goes back to silver who starts stretching and the guards like going somewhere this this card going somewhere <laughs> and it really sticks out that guard i don't know why he's like a british tv actor he's someone i used yeah. to recognize but yeah he's someone you would you would just see on like an emmerdale or something <laughs> But um, we go back to the inquiry and yeah, M is starting to get grilled on what's happened with MI6 and how she has been single-handedly responsible for the death of the agents and all that stuff. And you do also see Mallory is there as well um, on that that bench of all of the like the ministers and everyone that are going to question M. So yeah, there's all these, these plot threads occurring at the same time and they're meant to all be happening at the same time. So uh, we see back in Q branch or Silver's Code, it, it apparently kind of keeps changing, keeps morphing to prevent hacking. And as Q is saying, this Bond spots some letters on the right-hand side of the screen, some kind of code letters, and it's got some... Uh, it's starting to line up, and he sort of says, pause, and like zoom in there, and the letters come together, and it spells the word Grambora, which Bond immediately recognises. It's like an old tube station on the Metropolitan line, and um, use that word as the like cipher key with Silver's code. And so Q does that. And on the screen, all the code sort of unravels and starts to form a shape. And it looks like a map. And Bond recognises it as a map of subterranean London. So all the underground lines and everything. And as that happens, uh, these doors or these like glass panels on the floor start to open up in QLab, which Bond clocks and and kind of realises something. And he just runs off. And I don't know if... like, I don't know if it's just I've not caught Daniel Craig running 
enough or this was just a bad day, but he runs really silly. Maybe Daniel Craig runs really silly, but if you see I don't bit, think like, so. He sprints a lot in these films. Yeah, but then why why is this one in particular? I think it's because it's so short as well. It's like yeah. such a quick scene and his like arms are out to the side. Anyway, don't don't come for me, Daniel. You run fine. Um Yeah, and so he runs off and you see on the screen in front of Q that there's a system security breach. And Q goes over to Silver's laptop because uh, he wants to start putting out, like, frantically putting out all of the connected cables. And it says on there, not such a clever boy, to which Q just kind of defeatedly says he hacked us. So maybe he's not so smart. That Q, you know, plug in it straight into their system. And we thought M was bad with her internet stuff, but I mean, maybe it's just an MI6 problem, clearly. <laughs> Q's all like... A Nigerian prince, you say? Well, I, oh, maybe I shouldn't. But if he, if I, if I transfer <laughs> him five hundred, he's going to send me back like ten times as much. So let me, I'll just click this real quick. And oh, <laughs> he's hacked Elon, us. Elon Musk is trying to sell me some bitcoins. Well, he's oh. a very reputable man. I'm sure there's nothing wrong with this. <laughs> I just have to download this software. Okay, all right, down it goes. Going to be rich. Uh, but no, this whole thing is just absolute nonsense. Like, I, it doesn't really bother me all that much. But this is so Hollywood yeah. hacker, just nonsense. Like, I'm not a hacker. I cannot say for sure this isn't how it happens. But the idea of like this big network, because it's on this huge screen and it's all tied together, and then like it unravels to be a map. It, it's just, oh, it just all feels a bit like yeah, super film logic here and. It's so silly where they have to have Bond seem smart. Like, yeah. Q, it's just, it's a whole other world. We know this. But they still have to have them working together. So Bond's like, oh, what is going on that? <laughs> All right, Grandpa, we'll go in on that. <laughs> Whatever <Fine."> you say. <laughs> and then it works when it says Groundbro. Like, oh, it's all... It's all very like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I know what they're trying to do, but this is such, like, you cannot take this hacking scene seriously because it's just so nonsense. Like, so here just because they need a hacking scene in a film and they want some sort of, like, visual display of that so you can kind of go along with it and have it be interesting. But, yeah, I can't imagine hacking is anything like this. I'd love to have seen a scene like this with the old Q. It's like slowly, like two two fingers typing on the keyboard really slowly. It's like, right, well, let's just hack here, shall we? <laughs> well, yeah, like, this is they... almost getting close to the For Your Eyes Only scene where they're doing the whole like oh, picture yeah. graph thing or whatever that was. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's the angle they're going for for this new cue. Like they, they are modernizing it in the sense of he's not just there with the, the guns and stuff and the silly gadgets. He is He is a hacker and... I guess that just comes part and parcel. Like this sort of stuff comes part and parcel with big films. Is it has to have the code on the screen? It has to have it in a very silly way. But I'm I'm with you. It doesn't really bug me. Um, it just it just progresses the plot. I don't dwell on it too much. I think you are right though. It is kind of bad that they have to have Bond involved. I would have more. I would have liked it more if it was just Bond was just like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Q did it all because that that's that's where they should stand. I don't know. Yeah. They should have gone more corny where Bond just like is in the corner and they have the slow zooming shots on like Q working and Bond has that moment where he really is like, actually, maybe these young guys aren't so bad after all. And like smiles <laughs> and nod and then Q sees Bond smiling and they smile back and then they go play baseball in the backyard. Like that's oh, where it should have gone. I love that. That sounds great. That would have been really charming. 
they're just playing baseball while M is just being murdered by Silver. Like, oh, I <laughs> should have really dropped the ball on that one. Uh, <laughs> Come on, son. Let's play catch. <laughs> Go long. Go long. Uh, but no, it's fine. It, because it's Bond as well, they're allowed to be a bit silly. Yeah. So that also helps. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to Bond running through. Sadly, it's not shouting, get out the way. Get out the way. Move, move. Move, move. Sadly not. <laughs> he does love to run through MI6, though. It is his favourite thing. I can't believe that's come up now twice in this podcast. Like, I didn't realise that moment had such an impact on us both, but clearly it did. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Uh, so Bond gets to the room where Silver was, and he sees the guard being dead. The guy's like, oh, call blimey, he got me, governor. And then he dies. <laughs> he, Bond holds him like he's going to do with a certain character later on in his arms. And holds his... him like Mathis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Forgive yourself. Oh, really? Oh. Vespa. Like, no, you, I don't care about her anymore. Come we on. We moved on until the Come next on. film. Old news. New digs. Yeah. But no, no one talks, sadly. Uh, but yeah, the guard is dead. And Bond sees that there's like a grate and somebody's opened up the grate and there's like a ladder. So yeah, he like radios to Q saying Silver's gone. And then he climbs down the ladder to kind of get into like almost like a sewer but it's almost like not really a sewer. It's just like an underground to this underground. It's a bit strange when you think about it. So Bond is kind of going through all these tunnels and he's on the queue to radio and Q says, I found you on a map. So go through the door on your right. So he does and he pops out and he's on the tube line. So he's in one of the tunnels where all the rails are, where the, the underground trains go. And Bond is walking through the through the tunnel with his gun out and Q kind of starts explaining like this was he you know he wanted to be captured this was a plan all the years in the making he knew that MI6 would retreat underground he knew exactly where this would be so Silver has actually been planning this all along and this is all part of his plan which I really really appreciate that line because I think it's really needed in terms of all the things that happened with this plot and yeah. I think I buy it a lot more because they explain that Silver is a crazy person but has been planning this for such a long time. That's why it all plays out the way it does. I think that was really needed um, for for this to work well. Yeah, yeah. That that's the that's the element that I think a lot of people would be like, oh, Joker. You know, Joker planned to get caught, and how how much did he plan in advance? Um, and I think yeah, that's like I said before. I don't really find this bothersome too much it's just what this character does we've already seen the element of control he has although to be fair it's only with you pointing out in this podcast that it, it it sat with the whole police stuff very early on but once you kind of get that it's like yeah he could do all this stuff although it'd be quite funny if like oh sorry we've had to move the inquiry um <laughs> there's, there's you know there's something wrong with the floor or there's yeah we have to move it and it's like he goes there and there's no one there yeah but he would just do that oh like that way yeah be annoyed uh but yeah so he planned this the whole time and i i do love that as well he knew mi6 would go underground he had those plans that's so cool because of course he would like if he was an agent i'm sure that that's like yeah he would have access to all that stuff yeah he knows exactly where he would be captured which is great um so q is explained how the district line on the underground is the closest to you and you can get there by going through the door on the left. So Bond goes, open the door, and he says, I can't open it. And Q's like, well, of course you can. Put your back into it. <laughs> then, like, a train starts coming, and Bond looks and says, oh, great, a train is coming. 
uh, which is kind of a staple of the Craig era, really. Some of the humour just comes in terms of being a little bit sarcastic, which I don't dislike, uh, but I feel like Bond isn't as sarcastic as he is with Craig. <laughs> but I guess that's just part of his version of Bond, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so Bond starts trying to barge the door open and the train's getting very close. So then at the last second, he just shoots at the door. He breaks through and he gets through and he's like, okay, I'm in. And Q's like, see, I told you, but a little bit like worried and nervous because <laughs> Bond only just meant it, uh, made it. So Q explains that we've reported to the security and police. So they're on their way and we cut to Silver is handed a package by two policemen. So he's in like his like, prisoner uniform and but two policemen just give him a package um, and then we go back to bond who kind of comes out of a vent into a crowd of people so we're now in the underground so we're in the underground stations but uh, i guess for people who have never gone on the underground it's like a lot of different like tunnels that then like connect up to the actual train stops um, so where we are in kind of like one of these tunnels where it's just like super busy, which again, that's the underground. <laughs> so waves of people and Bond kind of comes out, goes into the crowd and he goes onto one of the stations and there's a train stopping and he's at Temple Station and Q finds him on the cameras because he's still observing and he's like, ah, oh, there you are. And then he says, I'm looking for silver on the cameras, but he can't find him. Bond is looking around on the platform while this train is there and he can't find him either. And Bond's like, do I get on the train? I don't know if I can get on this train or not. And Q sees footage of a policeman getting onto the train. And then it takes him like half a day to realise that that's silver. Yeah, it really does take him too long. You could have seen in that first frame. You didn't need to zoom in. He could have said, Bond, it looks like he's on the train. So just get on. (laughs) But instead he's just like... I don't know. Just just confirming. So Bond like is waiting on the platform and the train starts moving. But he's just on his radio like, do I get on the train? Do I get on the train? But then Q eventually freezes the footage, sees it silver in the police uniform. And he's like, Bond, get on the train. So Bond's just like, ugh. And then just starts running. And he jumps at the last second just before the train disappears on the tunnel and lands on the back of it. Of which uh, some British man watching says, oh, he's keen to get home. Oh, get it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Home? Yeah. <laughs> Home, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we then cut to Bond on the back of the train and we see like a, a woman train driver who's just like quite shocked or just doesn't quite understand what's happening. And Bond's like, open the door. And she's just like, doesn't do anything. So Bond's like, open the door. And she does. And he's like, thank you. And he says, oh, health and safety. Um, and then leaves and starts going through the train. So it's all very packed, lots of people. And Q tells Bond over the radio that Silver is dressed as a policeman. And we see shots of Bond going through the train. We see shots of uh, Silver going through the train as well. And Q is on his laptop trying to figure out where he's going. He's like, we're not too sure where Silver is heading to. But Bond sees like the tube map in the train and sees Westminster and says he's going after M. So tell her to get out of there. So we cut to the inquiry, uh, inquiry which is still going on, and uh, Tanner gets a message on his laptop, but then tells M, like, Silver has escaped and we need to get you out of here, of which M tries to reply, but the minister who's running this is like, oh, are we interrupting something? And he's like, no, please proceed. Um, and then we go back to Bond going through the train, and I think he walks past someone... And I don't know if that's like Thomas Newman or something. 
Oh, a little cameo, maybe. Yeah. Oh, I didn't spot that. I don't actually know what it looks like. I, I'm not sure if he actually was, but he has like the same haircut. Like to the right of Bond, there's someone with like a bowl haircut, but it's very distinct. It's not Elvis. It's <laughs> like a very distinct uh, haircut like Thomas Newman, but he looks a little bit older than Thomas Newman. So I don't know if that was him, but it was like quite a distinct looking person to just be a random person on the train. So I think that was oh. a cameo from someone. You know, speaking of cameos, I don't know. I can't recall what the Michael... Wilson cameo is for this film. Do you know? Because he's always no. in him. Unless he's that was him. him. Was, it, was it like an old grey-haired man? Kind of. I could. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this is where they put him, like as that one of those background characters. So I'm going to have to go back and check because he's always in him. So I do want to know. I'm going to have to look this up. Like, <laughs> I can't throw that out there and be like, somebody was on the train. I don't know who. I'll never tell. I'll never, it's a big <laughs> secret. Don't worry about it uh passenger oh god commuter oh my god there's so many uncredited people here another commuter graham Car- oh my god there's so many people i'm just looking for a either a thomas newman or a michael paul bearer apparently michael g's wilson's character was called paul bearer if that rings oh. any bells oh joe you know I'm, I'm just looking it up now and apparently that scene was cut <laughs> oh <laughs> so he would have had a cameo he would have cut. yeah oh, okay all right fair enough anyway let's move on from this uh but yeah i think that was somebody but yeah so bond's still going through and they do eventually start arriving so the train pulls in at the station and the doors open at the embankment and silver starts running so he's still like a decent distance away from bond so he manages to run off the train. Bond runs after him. They're both like pushing through the crowd quite a lot. And they kind of go to the top of these escalators and they like slide down in between two of them where a ramp is. So he silver slides down. And when he gets to the end, he just like completely collapses and falls down onto the floor and then gets back up and starts running again. And Bond is able to just completely maintain his momentum, uh, which I think was quite a nice touch. Yeah, He stumbles a bit li- and then keeps going. Little bits like that. There's just the little ones where you go, yeah. You don't. You need a few of those moments, and that's, that's a good one, especially because it's 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 in the, it's in the tube. It's what we all we've, a lot of people here would have would have used the tube. So it's nice to see it all happening here. Yeah, although it's completely unrealistic this scene because they have little like things to stop you from they doing do. that. They absolutely do. They have bumps and be like, no sliding. If it was Roger Moore, it would he would have like caught it and be like, oh. <laughs> they would have played it for a moment there yeah uh so yeah so they continue to kind of run and bond turns a corner and can't see him anymore and instead he sees a lot of police like a lot of a big crowd but a lot of police in the crowd and silver notices this and just laughs and he just kind of casually then walks through a set of doors on the left because he's dressed as a policeman and bond can't tell who is who because he's now in a crowd of police so he leaves through a set of doors on the side and Bond is still looking, but he sees that the door is a little bit open, so he is able to to follow. And we go back to the minister who is just like dressing down M, saying, you're old-fashioned, you're out of date, you suck, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you're awful, I'm cool, you're lame. And Mallory stops her and saying, for the sake of variety, should we actually uh, hear from the witness? And the minister takes a second and is like, of course. Of course. 
so, so again, I like that I, that detail, and I I choose to imagine that detail of the policeman was built in by Silver that he knew the police would be called, which is why he dressed as a policeman because he knew he yeah. would be able to get away because he mm. could like hide in a crowd because he knew there would be a ton of police because they would report it in. Yeah, as soon as Tanner realized that would have been yeah straight away. So yeah, yeah, it's another small detail there. So. Right, so now we're we're seeing Bond, and Bond is entering like this tunnel and he's aiming his gun and there's like a big black room and yeah, again more like arches and stuff. It's very like underground, but it's like behind the scenes of it. And he turns on the lights, which turns on these lights of all these generators, and he sees a shadow across the room, so he sprints and goes into the next room and we see Silver climbing a ladder and he just Bond just shoots at him three times but hits the ladder and that causes Silver to to stop and silver says ah not bad james for a for a physical wreck uh you've caught me and now here's your prize he says it's the latest thing from my toy store it's called a radio and he hits it and that causes on the side on the wall behind bond a big hole like that an explosion goes off and a big hole is created and bond says i hope that wasn't for me and silver says no but that is and bond turns around and we see a train because he has created a hole in the underground, so now a train is just falling through the roof, and it smashes down, smashes into a lot of arches, a lot of bricks here, and it really falls down. Uh, but Bond is able to just like quickly get out of this, he's not really in any real danger, uh, but it's just a chance for a silver to escape, and yeah, this train completely falls down and stops, and Bond gets back up, but silver has escaped, and this is also another one where when I first saw it, I was like, that's a bit daft. But again, I think Silver, I don't think this is the only trap he set up. I bet he had like 10 different spots where he could blow things up in order to help him escape. Mm, I still think this is dumb <laughs> for okay. me. Because I did think that when I watched it. And I I still do with this. I, I think that just the reason... Well, it just seems like they thought they needed to have, oh, we're in a tube station. We need to have something explosive or something dramatic to happen with a tube uh, train. But to me, it's like I, I like the idea of he has all these things planned up, but but that they're smart things, whereas this just doesn't seem logically very smart, like having that particular... I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe he has another uh, one ready to blow up. But then, then I was like, well, does he want to kill Bond? Maybe he actually wants to keep Bond alive. And maybe that's why it was so kind of stupidly out of the way still. But no, I don't know. I, I've, I've been trying to justify it, but I think it is still just a bit silly. I like when he does have these things planned, but when it's, I don't know, it's actually, it makes, it's it's for him to get to where he wants to go, less for when he's trying to stop other people like this. All right, fair enough. I, I think he would have this planned. But again, I don't see it as in he knew that he would be stopped at that ladder. I think he saw it as in, I know what route I'm taking, so I'm going to set up stuff all along that route, and I'm just going to set off the one I need when I get to that point. And I do agree with you, he didn't set off the one that he thinks would kill Bond, he just set off the one that would distract him enough so he could get away. Um, so to me, I think that does fit, but, you know, fair enough, each their own. Hmm. Uh, so we then cut to Silver going above ground and he gets into a police car. Lots of police everywhere and his car drives off and we start hearing a voiceover of M because now she is going to speak at the this uh, inquiry. 
And she says, today I've repeatedly heard how irreverent my department is. Do we really need agents? Isn't it all rather quaint? And she says how I see a different world that you do. And what I see frightens me. And she says, I'm frightened because our enemies are no longer known to us. They don't exist on a map. They're not countries. They're individuals. And we see Tanner is getting a lot of messages to get M out of there while she's doing the speech. And we're seeing shots of like Silver like storming the front of the building. So him and like two policemen or fake policemen are just shooting the guards who get in. And M continues with her speech and says, our world is more opaque now. And it's the shadows. That is where we must do battle. And she says, ask yourself, how safe do you really feel? And then she kind of changes course a bit and saying, my late husband was a a great lover of poetry. And I suppose some of it sunk in despite my best intentions. And we have, we see like shots of Bond running across the ground. So he is now like above ground and he is just sprinting across London because of course he is. (laughs) He wouldn't wouldn't walk it or get a police car. No, he's just going to sprint there and... He says this is a, or M says this is a poem from uh, Tennyson, I think it is. And she quotes the poem. I'm going to try and give it a go. I probably won't do it justice, but here we go. And she says, we are not now that strength which in old days moved heaven and earth. That, that which we are, we are. One equal temple of heroic hearts made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find and not to yield. And at that moment, Silver bursts in to the room and points a gun at M and smiles. And he just like shoots a random man and a random policeman as well. But yeah, then they stare. Uh, M just kind of no reaction on her face. Silver just yeah, quite happy about it. And we see Mallory take off to head over. So as Silver fires, Mallory grabs M and takes the, takes the bullet instead in the shoulder. And we see Bond has now reached the building that this is all happening in. So Tanner is like kind of cowering with M or lowers M down to try and get her out. And Bond enters the room and there's a lot of shooting backwards and forth because it's almost like a courtroom. So Bond is on one side and uh, Silver is on the other side. They're shooting at each other and Eve is present. So Bond kicks a gun over to her and she starts shooting and Mallory, despite being shot, he runs and gets another gun from one of the policemen that's been killed. So he's shooting and I think Mallory manages to shoot one of the goons that has come with Silver. And Bond then points the gun at Mallory for a second and then moves it slightly to the side to shoot a fire extinguisher. So the room kind of fills with like steam, I guess, or CO2. Um, So you can't see anything. So Bond casually walks across and fires through through this steam and Silver fires, but he can't see anything. So he decides to leave he just shoots a random man on his way out and we see the ministers and all the committee that were the front leave as well and silver kind of gets out of the building grabs into a parked car and disappears and bond sees the car go so he also sees a jag nearby which is m's car so we then cut to tanner putting m into the car and as soon as tanner puts m into the back of the car and goes to the front it drives off leaving tanner there so Bond is driving the front and M's like, 007, what the hell are we doing? And M says, uh, it then goes to M talking about too many people are dying because of me. And Bond talks about, let's get out in front. We need to change the game. And M kind of guesses, oh, so I'm going to be the bait. And Bond looks at her and she's like, all right. 
So Bond radios Q saying, Me and Emma, we're about to disappear and ask you to leave a load of breadcrumbs for only Sylvia to find. And Q's like, I guess this is off the books, which Bond basically confirms. And it ends with bon, uh, Q having a sip of tea saying, So much for my promising career in espionage. <laughs> and it's like a Scrabble mug that he yeah. has as well. Because <laughs> I did see it, I was like, Why, why has this mug just got Q on it? And then it's like, Oh, it's a Scrabble mug. I see. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this whole, I mean, just like going back to the whole inquiry scene, man, I love this whole bit. I really do. Like I wrote down in my notes that this whole bit is a teensy bit corny because they do do the whole thing of like, this is a serious moment. And the music is like, you get the voiceover from M, um, you have the music swelling, you're getting the shots of Bond running. It's all coming together to this, this, uh, point but I just love that they give Judy Dench this chance to do this like really Hollywood thing of giving the speech because it's it's just great. Like she can put it off, right? She's that sort of actress. She has that Shakespearean experience, and she she can do this. She can say these with such great. Um, like Ralph Ralph Fiennes could have done it as well. Like he's a similar caliber of actor, and it's just great. And I mean, even if you take into account the actual poem, which. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Ulysses by Tennyson. And I only know that because like, it's one of those poems that you, you hear in quite a lot of movie stuff or it's a, a, quite a famous one because of that last bit about, you know, to not to yield. And I quite like that we got a little, a little reading by Tom there. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even if you take that on the face value of it's just a cool sounding, it's just a cool sounding poem. Like it just sounds good. And I'm saying it sounds good. But also then... Like I was saying earlier, with how much you want to get into this film, that actual poem is about an aging character wanting to go back, not wanting to give up, um, chasing their, maybe not chasing their youth, but you know, and it, it just has so many parallels to what I've seen. And I love it. I love it. Like I say, it is a teeny bit corny, but I will happily have it because I think, and also I really like um, the shootout that comes after it. It could have just been a very, a very average, like, all right, Silver comes in, boom, boom, doesn't kill him. Bond comes in, saves it, whatever. But they do at least have, because they have all the culmination of all these characters that we've seen here um, or so far in this room. So we've got Bond uh, kicking over a gun to Eve and Eve is starting to help out. We have, I swear, does Bond wink at Mallory at one point? I swear he winks at Mallory. He might um, be, I think just before he shoots the fire extinguisher when he's pointing the gun, he might wink. Yeah, him. but then at another point he's like kind of gestures that he's going to give Mallory some cover whilst he goes to get the gun. And it's just, and this is what you need when you eventually see what Mallory becomes as a character. And I just, it's just like, oh yeah, look at them all working together. You love to see it. It's quite interesting because like that, Similar idea I don't like as much in the next film where we have MI6 all working together. But here, where it's sort of thrust upon them in this situation, in this inquiry room, I think it's great and I love it. Yeah, I love that idea as well because like it's all, all supposed to be how like Silver is in control of this and has kind of got the best of them. But then we just see MI6 kind of rally a little bit and they're kind of really on the back foot. But to see Bond get involved, but everyone else get involved, it's incredibly cool to see this type of shootout and especially happening in like a a government or a minister like scene like this in this courtroom like oh it just comes right out in front of 
all this kind of world that they're talking about and you know it's all very deliberate of course but yeah the idea of the shadows and this fight that's going on that nobody sees and then now everyone can see it uh, but yeah that's incredibly cool and as you say like judy dench just pulls this off so well and even those like extra elements of tragedy and we talked about it last week about how she says my late husband because her husband yeah. has died it just adds another extra layer in her reading this poem and yeah as you say it's potentially a little bit corny but i think where this story goes with them it completely justifies it yeah like oh, with how sure. her story ends with this one it like it justifies like yeah she gets to have this moment yeah no they need they need to have this sort of thing and they've given enough time to aim already but it's like i'm just glad that they kept it going and they really gave it the the due diligence uh that it deserved yeah and i think we normally use like in a lot of these uh episodes we normally say like and this was my favorite scene of the film to be honest like i co- don't think i could pick one <laughs> no i don't know either this is a That's really a good, good one the patrice one was a really good one the silver introduction was a really good one the casino yeah. was a really good one so i couldn't pick my favorite scene uh there's just a lot of moments where they really stand out to me bond getting shot at the beginning like this scene the like oh my god it just has so many moments that are just so memorable and awesome and this is yet another one yep i think i'm with you i don't think i could pick one they're all equally good which is not a bad position to be in no so after bond has yeah signal three to q to start laying that trail of breadcrumbs um we are still with bond and m except this time it's at night uh and they're at sort of like a storage unit garage unit and bond is there to change vehicles they need to change out of a a company car they need to get into a non-company car because of you know there's trackers and everything they can be traced so they need something else so um he opens the door to this this place and he turns on the light and inside it's the aston db5 (laughs) (laughs) as the lights come on and when i say it's the aston uh, martin db5 from it's the aston martin db5 from goldfinger it's the exact one it has the license plate and everything it's not like when we saw on casino royale where that's how we got it it's this one and sean connery's in the front he's like hello yeah very very old sean connery is in there like, finally yeah um and m says oh i suppose that's completely in- inconspicuous and i love i love the way daniel creator says get in <laughs> yeah <laughs> come on get in uh however i'm just gonna say this now we do say the eston a little bit more but i just want to kind of get this out now as much as i've just kind of kind of joked about all this stuff i don't like the eston being in this film oh no personally um i think it's kind of what we said before what i was saying before with some of the q stuff uh they're trying to have their cake and eat it too with some aspects um i don't think it was needed oh i can't agree i guess i just see it and i'm just like oh that's great that's so fun like i much prefer it here than like the aston i was in casino royale and maybe this would have worked better if it wasn't in casino royale and if they didn't have that terrible cameo of it in tomorrow never dies if there was a little bit more like separation for it but i don't know like it's so self-indulgent i can't help but love it oh yeah i don't know i think that's what puts me off is it is so self-indulgent because it is down to well i mean yeah i'll carry on the rest of the scene but um as as they drive off in the aston martin and you do hear very you hear the bond theme and it's like 
the very old school Bond theme. It's like just the guitar and, and even like the bongos or whatever that drum is that they're using. Like it's proper back to basic theme there as he drives off just to really hammer home this classic Bond staple. And they're driving through, like driving down the road and you see M. She's like, it's not very comfortable, is it? And as she says that, Bond uh, goes, puts his hand on the gear stick, flips up the cap to reveal the red button and says, are you going to complain the whole way? And M's like, oh, go on then, eject me, see if I care. <laughs> and uh, I, I, it's funny, it is funny. And I, I like on that, I'm sure, and this is the other issue I have, is that I'm seeing this now 11 years later. I'm sure at the time that would have been such a winner of a, of a thing to do because it would have been that anniversary year and it would have been such a great time. I think now it's just the time factor is a little bit different and I'm just seeing it more as like, well, why does he have the exact, where is this from? What is it? What is the continuity here? Why does he have this car that's from 1960 and it has all the same gadgets, even though Q said we don't do that anymore? I don't know. I'm overthinking it, I guess. Well, yeah, you definitely don't want to get lost down that rabbit hole of how the continuity of all this works because that's a dark, dark place. So it is. Yeah, you you have to put that aside and just enjoy it for the the fan service that it is. And oh, it that's, is it's pure. just so funny. Just Bond and M bickering is hilarious, and the fact that he just pops open it was like, <laughs> it's ah oh, oh, it's just perfect. I don't know. I, it, it's so charming and funny to me uh, that I can push that stuff aside. Yeah, it is pure fan service, though. Yeah, you're right. But hey, yeah. sometimes that's just, you got to give it to the fans, I guess. So yeah, uh, after that, they're driving off. We see Q and Tanner uh, back in the Q lab following Bond's instructions. You can see him uh, in front of the screen with the map on, and they're plotting the, the breadcrumb trail for, for Silver to go up. It's going up to Scotland, you can see on the map. And you can see Tanner there. It's like, you know, after hours, they're doing this um, off the record and Tanner's having a, a bit of Heineken again. It's such a strange visual, just like there in the center of the frame. It's obvious why they do it, I know. But it's like, yep, Tanner drinks Heineken as well. And Mallory walks in, got his uh, arm in a sling after what happened. And uh, he asks what's going on, which they kind of like sheepishly look around. It's like, oh, you know, um, nothing. We're just uh, blah, blah, blah. And... He really, you know, he quickly clocks what they're doing and and uh, actually gives them a suggestion, you know, send them up the A9 or somewhere, give them a more direct route to Scotland and we can track him through the uh, the, the cameras. And I can't remember if it's Hannah or Q says like, well, what if the PM finds out? And Mallory says, well, then we're all buggered um, and carry on. So they've got the, the go ahead. And this is where you are. I mean, it helps that he also literally saved M from the inquiry room but this is where you are learning that uh, maybe it's not all quite what he seems old mallory you know he's he's got a few little secrets little things he can pull out so yeah after that we have we get back to bond and m and as i say they're in scotland uh, you get these nice panoramic shots of the the scottish highlands um all these beautiful mountains and hills and you see at one point the the DB5 has just been parked on the side of the road and Bond's standing there, legs quite wide apart, just looking out to the valley in front of him. And M was still in the car. She comes out and stands next to him. It's quite this is the, the location where um a lot of people go now to to have like, oh, this is the Skyfall bit, because uh yeah. Go and have your little photo there, but um she Well, comes it does in. look amazing as well. Yeah, that like, helps it, as well. It looks incredible. <laughs> 
the Scottish like hills on either side. Like, oh, looks amazing. Yeah. And she comes up and stands next to him and asks Bond if this is where he grew up. Um, and then also asks, uh, how old were you when they died? Um, and they're like, Bond is still just staring straight out into the, the scenery. He's not really looking. And he says, you know, you know that you know the whole story um, because of course you would. And, and to which M replies, orphans always make the best recruits. Bond looks up at the sky and just kind of ominously says, storm's coming. And that's kind of it, really. Uh, <laughs> you get more shots of the car, the DB5 driving through all these roads, these, these very um, isolated roads. And they eventually put into the entrance of this house, you know, like the entrance gate of it. And there's a there's a stag on one of the posts and you see the sign labelled Skyfall. So oh. we get the answer to what that was all that time ago back in the psychological evaluation. It's the Skyfall. name of the stag. Yes. Skyfall, the stag. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I think I forgot to mention earlier on when they were saying like, M says, where are they going? And Bond says, we're going back in time. And they literally are going back in time. Uh, they go <laughs> a giant portal opens up <laughs> <laughs> whoa the delorean comes through yeah. marty <laughs> we've got to go back bond uh but no it's this it's this uh big estate and there's this very old looking mansion like manor house in the middle of it all and uh they they go in and, and bond yeah bond and M walk in and there's all the furniture and all of the, the kind of chandeliers and everything in, in in all the rooms has been covered in cloth as if it's you know all being moved out and shut down and M just kind of stands and watches Bond as he, he walks around and kind of takes it all in about where he is because uh, we don't really know very very much about it quite yet. But um, as he's there standing, you see the shotgun emerge from the shadows and... It's this old man. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's this old bearded man um, who Bond immediately recognises. Is like, oh my God, you're still here. I can't believe it sort of thing. Because it's... <laughs> it's like, God, are you still alive? <laughs> <laughs> and Bond introduces M uh, to him and it's Kincaid, the, the gamekeeper, since Bond was a boy. And yeah, you're learning this is obviously Bond's um, childhood home. And... Bond introduces M to Kincaid, and I like how he he hears it as Emma, so that's how he addresses her for the rest of it. It's not M, it's Emma. Um, and Bond says to him, some men are coming to kill us. We're going to kill them first. Very matter of fact. And it's kind of, yeah, this this Kincaid character, it's like, yeah, not, not, much of a, not much of a reaction from it, considering like he doesn't know much about uh, MI6 and what Bond actually does, but, you know, he's going to go along with it. They go and check the gun room. They're looking for weapons and supplies. But this is where you learn that actually, because of what happened to Bond, uh, seemingly dead at the beginning, it's all been sold. All of the stuff's been sold. The whole house is actually, you know, going going away. And the only thing left in terms of weaponry was Bond's father's hunting rifle, which Kincaid hands over to Bond and is a little close-up of it being monogrammed. It says A-B. So yeah, they put all their weapons down on the table uh, just to see what they have. And it's yeah, a couple guns, uh, Bond's pistol. And M's like, is that all? Is that it? Uh, and then Kincaid 
puts down a knife as well and says, you know, sometimes the old ways are the best as he puts it down. Yeah, so like going back a little bit, uh, first of all, they've done it again in terms of like having these amazing aerial shots and just having this place look absolutely incredible. <laughs> like, For different we, reasons though as well. Like it's yeah. like British beautiful rather than like exotic. You know what I mean? <laughs> British beautiful. Well, some would <laughs> yeah. say isn't beautiful. But... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like it's not a Shanghai high tech city at night. It's a like moody, misty Scottish Highlands. Which, if anyone's ever been to Scotland and ever spent time around the locks, they are incredible places. Highly recommend. Watch out for Mijis though; they they'll get you. Uh, but it looks amazing, and this really captures that amazingly well. Uh, it, it reminded me of two films. One was The Revenant. Uh, the Leonardo oh, yeah. DiCaprio film that has a similar sort of vibe that probably is a little bit more impressive but I don't think that's really fair to compare really uh, because so much went into that film it's insane uh, but the fact that we got Shanghai and all these cool places but now like this and it works and looks amazing it's just like wow absolute credit to the people who made this film it looks incredible and the other film it gave me fives off is like The Shining oh yes especially the shots of the car driving yeah. yeah, it almost feels like a direct reference to it because there's a load of trees. Like, they're in the middle of the hills and stuff. And then they cut to, like, them driving through trees on the road and there's, like, aerial shots showing the car. So I I haven't seen The Shining in a while, but it feels, like, very close. Like, it might almost mm. be a reference. It's so similar. Yeah. Uh, but it does kind of really instill this idea of isolation and things like that because that's what this is kind of all about. So, once again, it's a new location and it looks incredible. So I guess now Kincaid. Uh, I like Kincaid. I like the Kincaid. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Kincaid. Well, I, I guess I'll talk a bit more about Kincaid a little bit later on. But at, right. at the moment, it does feel. It's just like, oh, there's a man here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Who is this guy? What's his relevance here? But I guess there's a little bit more we learn later on. So yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, but I do appreciate like the thought that went into this film again with the timeline of it the reason like this house always existed it was bond's childhood home which we know his parents are dead and this was like waiting here for him and it's only really being sold and stripped down because everyone thought he was dead which is something that's being pulled from the start of the film but i like that that this has been three months since everyone thought bond was dead so that's why it's here but it's not completely gone and I think that was really smart. So it gives you this sense of like a rundown house, but it's not literally like a <laughs> like something that's been there for like thirty years that's just collapsing. Like it's it's more smart. It connects together in a way that makes sense. It makes sense. Kincaid would be here. It makes sense that things would be run down and it would still kind of be that house. But he is maintaining it, so it's very small. But I appreciate that they thought about it and put the timeline together to make it fit in terms of what they want to show on screen with this house and what it represents. Yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't quite think about that in that aspect, but you are totally right. And I do also get a little bit of a Harry Potter vibe here, because, like, Kincaid, big man with a beard, give Bond his, old, his father's old hunting rifle, which has, like, A, B on it, and it did give me a little bit of, like, Hagrid with Harry <laughs> Potter and... Him looking at his wand, being, oh, my father's wand. Like, it was a little bit like that. Because, yeah, Bond sees a big old AB on the stock because it is his father's uh, rifle. Uh, but, yeah, so 
once they've got all the weapons out, like they know what they've got, um, Bond goes for some target practice using his his father's rifle. Uh, with Kincaid, he's set up some teacups or something on a tree, uh, on like a tree branch in the distance, and um, Kincaid like starts to offer some advice. You know, oh, you know, leans to the left a bit, and Bond just like, yeah, it's fine, uh, and just shoots them perfectly. He's now fully recovered by the looks of it. His shoulder's not a problem. Um, and when he does that, Kincaid is like, what did you say you did for a living? So, yeah, um, he, he really doesn't know. And I guess why would he? So we see Kincaid inside bringing um, a scarf to M. Looks a bit cold, a bit chilly up there in Scotland, I imagine. Uh, so she's saying, you know, it's a beautiful house. And I can't remember the line he says. It's like, that's like something about... Uh, Oh, something about having secrets. I yeah, can't like what it says. Uh, it's something like as all good women or all women does, it has its secrets, something like yes. that. Yes. Yeah. And from that then shows her a secret of the house, which is um a tunnel. A secret tunnel uh that that leads is uh, they say something like a priest. Yeah, a priest hole. Priest hole, which um is a tunnel straight to the moors and then that would lead out to the chapel that's nearby. And Kincaid starts to tell the story of when Bond was younger and how when he heard the news of his parents' death, he ran and hid in there and he didn't come out for two days. And very dramatically says, when he came out, he wasn't a boy anymore. So <laughs> that, that to me, this is what I was going to say earlier about Kincaid, like that, this is really just Kincaid's purpose is just to have those moments of, this is what Bond did as a boy. I know because I was there. They just needed someone from his history. Um, and I'm so, oh, that's what I was going to mention earlier on. I remembered nothing to do with Harry Potter, but I'm oh. so glad. I'm so glad they didn't. There was rumors of it being Sean Connery cast in this role. Don't know if you read that. Yeah, but, yeah um, I read that. Yeah, one of those things that came out at the time, and then they decided against it. Very good choice. That would have just been very weird. Yes, very because weird. it. Yeah, Sean Connery is just so recognizable. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have worked. I mean, I think this this guy that plays Kincaid is a very famous actor. It's like Albert Finney, I think. Very famous actor. Kind of, I don't really recognise him or anything. I think it's more like kind of older generation of Hollywood stars or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, he's still very good. I'm glad it wasn't Sean Connery. Yeah. Anyway. Although it does uh, kind of give this, you know, he's still Scottish. So there's almost like this nice idea of Bond being in Scotland, which gives you that tie to Sean Connery. So that's all quite nice. It's... It's not in your face, but you could put some things together there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And after that little bit about Bond as a boy, you then start to see them preparing because they know that they've they've got M here as the bait, so there is going to be uh, Silver on his way at some point. And it's a bit of a montage here of all the things they're doing uh, to prepare the house for an oncoming attack. And it starts with... M is is uh, breaking some light bulbs to get the kind of filaments from them and and make them into uh, shrapnel explosives. You see them put some shotgun shells in the floorboards that will go off when someone stands on it. You you see them um, board up the windows with big pallets of wood. Uh, you see Bond get some dynamite from the quarry, which Kincaid mentioned about earlier. Uh, well, just one stick of dynamite. And finally, you see Kincaid sawing off his shotgun to make a sawn off shotgun and uh yeah like they're all getting ready and then you just get this big wide shot big quiet wide shot of the house 
kind of just waiting, waiting for what's going to happen. So where do you stand on this whole childhood stuff in this film? I I think we might have mentioned this earlier on, but it's one of those things that I don't actually think is really addressed very well. It's it's superficially mentioned, and I, I know that this is taking place at the house and what happens to the house, and, oh, it signals that Bond is letting go of the past. Yeah, yeah, I just think that is quite a, a big subject, and it almost feels like it's intruding a bit on the M stuff and the Bond and M relationship. I think... I don't know. I guess there's just too many stuff. There's too many strands going on for my liking where you're having Bond being resurrected. You're having Bond and M. You're having Bond, M and Silver. You're having Bond and his childhood. I don't know. It's a lot of stuff going on. Almost too many cooks, in my opinion. Mm, I know what you mean, but I feel like the Bond stuff is kind of somewhat secondary and is kind of like a smaller part of this film as in terms of building the character up over these five films that we get with Craig. So it's almost like kind of adding in an extra chapter or an extra slot in terms of what Bond is. But to me, I would say it's not too much because I think, unlike Quantum of Solace, this idea of Bond being at his childhood's home ties into the same themes of what M is going through, of, you know, the past coming back and you can't, like, you yeah, the past is catching up. So I kind of see it as a little bit like that. And yeah, there's no real character development with this. It's kind of a look into Bond's past but yeah i don't see this as bond kind of going back and resolving childhood trauma he just kind of is facing his past for a little bit but i think that works in terms of what is happening because again thematically m is facing her past and is catching up to her so bond kind of doing something somewhat similar i think does work but i do think yeah there's no character development of bond getting over his childhood trauma but there is the you know what's happening with m and i think thematically this aligns up with that enough uh, for it to work yeah i guess they they have to go hand in hand but to me there's just i don't know it's what you said there is no character stuff there like we didn't see any of bond's childhood trauma coming out oh well maybe you did but it's it's one of those things where I feel like if they're going to do this, they need to be a little bit more on the nose with it, even though I've complained about that sometimes. But they're going to have that. They need something to set it up and then have a satisfying payoff. Whereas we all know that Bond is messed up. Like we know that he is an orphan. That's going to have an effect. And like, I just think, yeah, um, the fact that they're in this setting and what happens to it isn't really enough. But I do agree with you. The focus is on them. So that I'm still happy with. Yeah, I think there's enough here to fill out Bond's character and have you think about some stuff and it's interesting, but you just have to take it as in, well, that's quite interesting that we're getting this. And I like how they do it where the background is Kincaid and M talking. I really appreciate that. Like, it's just Bond sitting around talking about it would be naff. Uh, But it almost feels very British in a way. And that's why I love Bond and Kincaid and M and their dialogue and stuff especially bond and m just <laughs> feels so british i love it like uh maybe mm. not in the way they intended but the, it's a very you know bond is a very british franchise and there's something about all the back and forth and the jabs they like go between each other and having this serious stuff and yeah they kincaid when he's all like yeah bond went in that tunnel for two days after his parents died and then he came out and he wasn't a boy anymore he then instantly says, oh, well, must get on. <laughs> very good. <laughs> All right. We've got stuff to do. Got to keep busy. It's, it's very British. It may be the wrong ways, but it still feels very British. And I, that's partly what I can't for Bond from that British feeling. Uh, 
Yeah, I as I'm saying this stuff and the things you're saying, it, it's making me reevaluate though as well. Like that's why I have a lot of tr- trouble with the, this last act of this film is that it's just I can't quite know where to place it because then there is like little little strands that I will hook into and I'll, I'll get and I think oh that actually does make sense. Like you're saying about uh, Bond and M's relationship. Well, yeah, like that is a very much in a way that is a very parental relationship. And then, well, then that links into Bond's past. And then what happens to M is like, well, then that can link into what happened. And that is getting over to trauma. So I guess it's just, it's not spelled out. And I know I just said that maybe I do want it spelled out. And that's that's a good thing and a bad thing, I guess. Overall, I think it's probably good they don't spell it out. Um, but there is a part of me that that would have liked it. I don't know. As you can tell, I am I'm, I do have lots of mixed opinions about all this. It's just like a big murky mess for me to wrap my head around yeah i mean the third act of this film in scotland is like the big sticking point for this film for a lot of people and i think there's enough really good here that i like it and i think there's enough ideas that are pulled in that i can enjoy and take them for what they are and maybe it is more of a kind of concoction and mix of ideas but i think they thematically tie well enough that i can just kind of take them all individually and still have it kind of feel cohesive um, yeah but, but you're right you could take some of this stuff and flesh it out a little bit more and focus on some stuff but i don't want the third act of a bond film to go heavily into some of these ideas and maybe they didn't 100 get the balance right but over the years watching this film i just really enjoy what's here and it has kind of settled in my mind maybe that just means i'm biased because of it but actually, I think in my head when I was first watching this film, I saw ah oh, the long Scotland bit. But I think it just has a lot of great moments and a lot of great things to kind of think about. So I actually do quite enjoy this bit. I would say the first two thirds is still better. Yeah. But I actually think this is quite a fun and enjoyable uh, act three. Yeah. So, yes, we are now waiting for Silver, uh, Silver to show up. And as Joe said, it's all very quiet and we see Bond and M inside the house kind of waiting and M is just kind of sitting there leaning forward and she's like, I effed this up, didn't I? She swears, but I'm mm. not going to. I'm a classy boy. Um, but you got to be, be professional. Yeah, want exactly. Be it wouldn't be professional. Yes. But M's like, she doesn't need her dignity anyway, so she's effing and jeffing. She's past that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Bond just replies and saying, no, you did your job. Which is, again, I really like that. This kind of idea is that this is how they see this. M and Bond both see it as they are two professionals doing a job. And it's something that is not just in this film, it's in all the films. So it's, ah, they really get the M and the Bond dialogue perfect in a lot of this film. So, But anyway, uh, Bond says, I read the obituary that you wrote for me. And M's like, what did you think? So Bond's just like, appalling. <laughs> <laughs> so M's like, yeah, I knew you were hated. <laughs> <laughs> and M's like I called you uh, exemplary of British fortitude which Bond's like well that bit was alright that wasn't bad <laughs> <laughs> oh I love it absolutely love it uh, this is like the last proper conversation they have in the film and I'm glad it's just like this just jabs at each other it's so yeah, good constant bickering yeah yeah but it's like confirming to each other that they do trust each other and stuff and you know ah oh, it's there's, there's so much there i love it uh, but we hear the dogs so before kincaid had some dogs and now we hear them barking which means we know that people are about to show up 
Which is kind of sad, because if you think about it, it probably just means the dogs got killed straight away. Yep. Yeah, that's so, sad, actually. That sucks. Mm. Um, but Bond is saying, are you ready to Kincaid? And Kincaid says, I was ready before you were born, son. And then he puts on some sunglasses, jumps on his motorbikes and goes, yee-haw, and charges off. <laughs> and then the Who starts playing, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. No, but he does say, I was ready before you were born, son, which is kind of lame. I don't think a Scottish person would ever say that, but that's fine. Um, So we cut to a load of men with guns arriving at the gates of Skyfall. And we see them walking towards the moor. So where this is taking place, it was kind of like uh, at dusk. Although maybe that's just how Scotland looks. It's like very blue. (laughs) All the time, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So this is kind of like the start of dusk. So it's kind of somewhat light. And now he's kind of starting to get a little bit more dark, a little more, more blue. So we see them walking across the moor and we see the, the Aston Martin DB5 is parked up outside and a lot of shots of them crossing this moor and approaching the house. And this group of people arrive at the front and they place some explosives on the front door and we see Bond is inside the DB5. He like pops his little head out for a little bit. And then he turns on the front tire, uh, turrets and starts shooting at a load of the men. So the front door blows up, which allows some of the men to charge in, but Bond has killed a few of them. And we see one of the men enter the front hall and look to the side and see Kincaid, but it's actually a mirror. So Kincaid then shoots them with his shotgun on the other side and says, welcome to Scotland. Welcome to Scotland. Yeah, that's another line I'm not sure that actually someone in Scotland would say. But No, I don't think so. Yeah, like, mostly the humour is good in this film, but some of these lines, like that one... Just felt a little bit off. I don't think basically, that's right. Basically, we're saying that Scottish people aren't cool. <laughs> <laughs> they're cool in a different way. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not. A, they're not called in an action hero way. No. <laughs> they wouldn't be like, I was born ready. Welcome to Scotland. Bang, bang. Like, that's not... Hmm. <laughs> I'm not saying English people are like that either. But <laughs> oh, God, no. It would be even worse. <laughs> even worse. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Bond is hiding in the car still and... I think like somebody's walking through the house and they step on one of the booby traps on the board and that explodes and kills them. And we see M is hiding from two men who have entered the house and she turns on the lights and that like triggers this like explosion from where the bulbs would be, which is like a shotgun shell with an explosion with like a load of glass in it. So that all shoots out that they prepared earlier. So they explode and die. Uh, And then Bond gets out of the car and shoots somebody and takes their rifle and shoots somebody else. And we see Kincaid is hiding and reloading his gun. And Bond, you know, he's in the house at this point And he, like, has a little move where he, like, kicks an assault rifle up to him, which is... Love that. Another little cool Bond moment there. Mm. Um, so two men are about to get Kincaid and he shoots but misses. And as he's reloading, he drops the shell. But Bond appears and kills the two men and... We then see somebody else creeping in the other part of the house of M is hiding and M then fires a pistol at him but completely misses and he fires back and Bond enters and then kills him. And Bond asks M, like, well, are you hurt? And she's like, oh, only my pride. I was never a good shot. Um, so Bond then looks around and they've killed everyone. Everyone's been taken care of and he says, Sylvia isn't here. And at that moment, they hear a helicopter and they hear some music. Like some almost like, what, Vietnam style music? Yeah. I, I, just, I don't know song. where the song it's comes from, but it sounds very Vietnam. Yeah. 
it's like very guitar driven and you hear like the vocals like boom 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 <laughs> gonna shoot you right down <laughs> <laughs> and then i think it's things something about like being in love with a woman which i'm assuming is meant to parallel m he clearly picked this uh song for a very exact reason yeah um, so bond looks out the window and sees the helicopter and he then says always gotta make an entrance so he tells M and Kincaid to go to the kitchen to hide and he starts shooting at the helicopter and something that's really nice about the audio design of this is that it just gets louder and louder with the helicopter and the music and it's so loud it's awesome um, so Bond is firing at the helicopter to distract them of which it like turns to its side and somebody's got a big old turret in the helicopter and just starts firing back and it starts like ripping through the whole house all these turret shots so Bond shouts at them high behind the arches for cover and Bond kind of runs round the house in a loop and he reloads and he fires and they're firing back at him and Bond then tells M and King K to go use the tunnel, go and use the priest hole to get back to the chapel. So they get in there and the helicopter then lands uh, which allows Sylvia to then get out with a load of goons. I will say, I want to ask kind of just before we get on to the next bit of this what is your opinion on the whole home alone, uh, yeah, home alone esque like traps and stuff? I think it's fine. I think it only gets silly when you do compare it to Home Alone, but I don't know because everyone does. That's always one of the things that people. I know. I think that's well. another just lazy comparison. <laughs> I'm coming for you, not just Joker oh fans. You Home Alone people, <laughs> coming for you. I don't know. I get. I get it. I just think it's it's more about like these are. They don't have any support. They're out here in such an isolated area, which they've shown off. And they just kind of, because they're versatile, because they're trained and because they're fighting for something, they find a way to do it. So to me, it's it's that. And I get the comparison, but I don't think that's it. Uh, I think it's more just like, yeah, these are resourceful people being resourceful to defend themselves and to... You know, they're using Emma's bait here, so they're kind of going all in with this, and I, I appreciate that. I think that's cool. Mm, okay. I just I just wondered. I mean, I myself, I don't I don't really have an issue with it, to be honest. I think sometimes I would take a step back and like see these just you know, two old farts with Bond and be like, could they really do that? But that's the whole suspension of this belief thing, isn't it? And I think that's something I've I've had to uh push back a couple times already, so one more is not not any different um no i don't i mean I, I i also do understand where people come from with that i think there are better comparisons i think i can't remember what they are now but people do say there are other films that are a bit more gritty and would have these similar traits of people uh having to do what they can with the things they have um and not just a kid <laughs> not just a bloody uh home alone kiddie film but um no, I basically what I'm saying is I can understand why people might not like it, but for me, I think I can gloss over it enough. Yeah, and this is it. That out there. Like that's yeah. that done. So yeah. I don't I don't get where the problem is. And I like the idea of M helping out, doing what she can. I like she just that. She switch, switches a, uh, a switch. Or flicks a light switch. There you go. That's what she needs to do. Well, she like sets up all the traps as well. I like that. I appreciate that she yeah. does something. Yeah, I mean, of course she, she said, she's a bad shot, so give her something else to do. Yeah, yeah. so I like it. Um, so yeah, so Sylvia is now landed from the helicopter and he slowly walks behind the house with a ton of guards behind him and 
we see Bond hiding inside the house and sees them. So Sylvia then just, Sylvia just takes a grenade and throws it into the house and Bond sees it as the last second and jumps to a void and it explodes. So Silver throws another grenade somewhere else and that explodes and Bond grabs another assault rifle and Silver then shouts at everyone like, don't you dare touch her, she's mine. Which I never liked that line. Not the line itself, but this is... We complained about this a lot in the Quantum of Solace episode, but yeah, just an awkward dub. Yeah, Because he has such a distinct way of talking, when you have to have him shout like this over a helicopter, it just sounds really weird. Like, really weird. Yeah, it did. Yeah. She's mine. Like, it's just the accent doesn't quite work, but... Uh, so, yeah, so the helicopter, I think, then goes back up. So he's they've dropped them up, and now it's, like, going back up, and he's, like, shining a light into the house. So Bond notices this light shining and kind of assumes that that's where Silver is because the light is shining for Silver so he can see because now it's quite dark. Um, not completely pitch black yet, but yeah, it's getting darker and darker as the scene progresses, so it's now quite dark. So Bond starts like shooting where the light is shining and Silver throws another grenade that goes off and Bond sees a load of like M canisters. So we cut to M and Kincaid quickly in the tunnel, in the priest hole. And we see that M has been hurt. That actually she has blood on her hand and has some blood on her side and she is actually like in quite a bad way, limping through the tunnel. So you kind of put it together that during the fight that she had with the other guy that she actually got shot. Um, And so she's dealing with that. And we go back to Bond who's like moving the gas canister and we get like a, a kind of a cool shot from Bond where Silver throws another grenade but... Bond is just like ignoring the grenades now, just yep. moving the gas canisters, Completely not even paying attention. Yeah. Um, so we see that M and Kincaid have made it out of the tunnel, and they kind of see that the house is on fire because all these grenades have gone off. And I think they are supposed to be like fire grenades, if that's even a thing. <laughs> like I've played enough video games with like fire grenades. I'm like, oh yeah, fire grenades. Yeah, like in in sender. I can't even think Incend- what that word is. Incendiary. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, one. That. <laughs> I'm assuming that's that supposed thing. to be that, but I, I don't know if they're real. But he has those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they look back on the house and then start leaving, and we see the helicopter shines a light on the DB5. And then Silver like signals over to it to attack and they shoot the car and it explodes and Bond sees that it explodes and he is very mad. And the Bond theme like kicks in for a little bit, kind of. They can destroy the house, but they can't touch the Aston. Yeah, (laughs) it's fine, I guess. It's an okay moment. I mean, considering I didn't even want the car there, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I think it makes sense that the car exploded, but yeah, it's fine. I guess you need a bit of jokes in there somewhere. I mean, yeah. It's fine. Uh, so Bond has now rigged up the gas canisters to blow. So he's like put a fuse and he lights the fuse and then he, he runs into the tunnel and looks back and looks around and says, I always hated this place. Starts sprinting through the tunnel. Which is what we were talking about before, how there's no real character development with this. It's just like, yeah, he probably did always hate that place. So he just gets the chance to blow it up, which is probably quite fun. Um, But there's no real development with this. Bond has already kind of pushed down his past and now he's literally blowing it up. But that's not development. He's just blowing it up. (laughs) Like he hasn't, there's no peace with this. He's just blowing it up. But that's fine. To me, that's kind of in line with 
what the Bond character is. He doesn't need to have a big moment with it. Yeah, I think there's meant to be a kind of play on catharsis, I suppose, but that it isn't, like you say, it's not done enough to have that weight to it to be full on a a release of something. So it is just that line of I always hate this place, which I guess does the job here. Um, I think there's maybe catharsis later on, but not quite here. No. So Bond is sprinting through the tunnel and we see Silver outside and then the house explodes. So the gas canisters explode and the the debris from the explosion kind of hits the helicopter and that causes it to fall forward and crash into the house and explode and that turns into a massive explosion. So the kind of the fire and the explosion kind of start pushing down the tunnel. So Bond kind of runs for a bit but then jumps to the side to avoid it. And we see Kincaid and M also see this, uh, but they keep walking. But at this point, there's quite a lot of blood coming from M at this point. Oh, she's struggling. Poor old M. Yeah, it was nice to see a big old explosion. Although I think maybe they got the wrong idea with this because Spectre goes kind of all in with it. Oh, God, yeah, that explosion. Mm. Yeah, like when I watched this, it made me think of Spectre because I was like, oh, yeah, I guess Sam Mendes just really loves explosions. But to me, this wasn't (laughs) that big of a deal. It was just like, yeah, that's an explosion because it's a Bond film. So that's what you get. Yeah, I think the explosion itself is like, yeah, whatever. I like that what they do with that, like the aftermath of it with the flames and the, the, the colors they use for the rest of the scene. That's a great choice. Again, more great style um but yeah I, I, explosions wise yeah all right it plays up good stuff yeah i agree like the rest of the scene now is at night and we just have this burning house in the background and that's really cool yeah yeah because uh where it's the scottish highlands it's obviously going to be very foggy as well so you have um this great big burning building and then you have the the haze of the fog and it sort of illuminates it all. And so after the building is blown up, you see Silver is there and and looking around and he's just like surrounded by flames at this point and where there is all this haze and warmth kind of effervescing. It's very, I don't know, it doesn't look earthly in a way. Like it looks, you could be like they're very on the nose here, but like very, he's the devil. Like there's like, it looks like hell around him. Um with the colors and the contrast against the black night uh it's yeah i love that i love what they did with the explosion and actually it's not just a cool big fireball but then it has this effect upon the rest of the scene so yeah he looks out he turns around from the house and he sees uh the torch kincaid's torch in the distance moving so he kind of presumably realizes that's that's m up there and starts to walk and says now it's me and her so yeah that's when you get the shot of him walking towards the camera, completely in silhouette from this building burning behind him. The moorlands lit up around him, and it just looks great. Like that's such a great just frame right there, still from this film. Yeah, it's a lot so of good. He yeah. also tells like two goons to make sure Bond is dead as well. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, so we see Bond gets out of the tunnel on the other end, and he also has a quick look at the the burning house just to sort of yeah i guess that's that now and turns back around and he he starts running starts running towards m and as he's running across the the moorlands he he sees a guard up ahead one of uh, silver's guards one of his goons and jump kicks him to knock him out and he eventually reaches uh, a lake a frozen over lake which we did see i think when the helicopters flew over as well so that's where 
that's on the outside and um he steps on it as a little test to see if it's all good if it's going to take his weight and you know there's a few of those crackling sound effects but no it's fine so um he starts to run uh slightly slightly less uh intense because you know you still are running on ice but yeah he's running across the ice and uh as he's getting kind of halfway through or, or wherever some bullets suddenly kind of spray out in front of him and it's silver silver is at the side kind of at the side of the lake and he is out of breath like he's not looking too good he's just been right next to that giant explosion near the house uh but he kind of talking to bond saying all this running around and fighting it's exhausting and at this point i just want to mention another little niggle that i have to say and it's something not in just this film it's in lots of films when i see this i hate it fake a fake like uh breath in in films looks looks bad you can immediately tell it's not real and every time they were talking i could just say like oh don't do that. Make it cold. <laughs> you know, really get, give it to them actors. Make them feel it. Uh, <laughs> I, I know what you mean, but, yeah. but I kind of, yeah, I guess that would have been the ideal, but I kind of, I need the breath. <laughs> it does add something to make it feel cold. Uh, you're right. There is a little fakeness to it, but I, I kind of want that. Especially I want it. I just want it to look but... better. Yeah, <laughs> That's all. So. Yeah. So he tells Bond, uh, you, you need to relax. And as he says that, Another henchman is revealed from behind Bond and Silver turns and we see that there's a light now on in the chapel and he says, Mother's calling. So uh, as he does that, Bond grabs the henchman's gun who's next to him and shoots down into the ice of the lake and causes them both of them to fall through. And Silver sees this and he just sort of laughs it off. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's great. And he gets on with walking towards them. And you see Bond and this this goon underwater. They're they're wrestling underwater, very clean water as well. I might add. Um, well, it's yeah, the Scottish Highlands. It probably would be quite clean. Uh, not that sound stagey clean, but I mean that's the reason why. But anyway, yeah. Uh, Bond is kind of wrestling with the guy underwater, and eventually strangles him with his leg. Um, and when he does that, he realizes. As a big danger is, if you're going under ice, is that then you can't see where the hole is uh, on the surface. So he looks up and he can't see anything. So he grabs a flare from the the goon's dead body as it's falling down and shoots that up to illuminate the top of the lake and yeah, reveal where the where the hole is. Very very quick little thing there. I guess maybe it's meant to be a little bit symbolic with Bond in water again. I don't really know, but um, but this time how he gets out of it. Oh, maybe. There. I don't think it's supposed to be that. I... It might be, though. I don't actually. know. Um, but I just, like, yeah, th- this whole scene just looks incredible. Like, not not the ice stuff so much, but <laughs> but I know we already said it, but it's worth repeating. It's so cool having that fire in the background lighting up a whole, like, valley almost of a Sc- Scottish Highland and it being cold. It's so cool. And just that moment, like when he kicks the like does the jumping kick it's so quick and cool it's just mm. great like it's just so i just find this stuff so good and just that mona bond just recklessly shooting the ice and silver just being like oh right <laughs> okay then and sighing and leaving it's so entertaining like my only real criticism of this end bit is that we don't really get enough silver there's no. like this big disconnect between what's going on and silver where silver is just like throwing grenades for so much of it at the house and i think that's a little bit lame 
Um, I get why they didn't do a proper like physical fight at that point or anything, but it does feel like Silver kind of gets disconnected from this film a little bit. And I wish he was a little bit more involved, but still like this looks amazing. It's got a ton of atmosphere. The music, because the music of this film is great. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really talked about it enough, but this has a very atmospheric, amazing soundtrack. Not necessarily a Bond soundtrack in some ways, but I can appreciate that for the, the style of the film. It matches it very well. Uh, but yeah, this is just a really great piece, like a really great uh, part of the film, uh, which is why I would probably be like, yeah, the Scotland bit is actually pretty good. I think most people just think Home Alone wackiness and it's boring. But actually, no, this scene was great. It's really cool. I really enjoy it. Yeah, this this scene is, is uh, I mean, if you're looking at the Scottish bit overall, like this is the bit that I think really seals the deal for me. I think if we didn't have this sort of stuff, I might feel a, a different way, but this this is all good stuff. So yeah, after that, uh, we see um, Silver has reached the chapel and uh, he's kind of just on the outside of it. And as he's going through, he spots a grave, uh, a gravestone next to him. And we see the gravestone, we see the, the names on it. And it's Bond's parents. It's Andrew Bond and Monica Delacroix Bond. Don't know if I know how you say that word, but um, yeah, and he, he sees that and has a little has a little chuckle. But I think this is the first time that we're seeing their names actually in in the series. I'm sure it's in the books, obviously, like a long time. But yeah, for the series, the film series, this is uh, actually Bond's parents. Yeah, I believe so. And it on like it. There's so many questions associated to this. The main one for me is about how like. So I guess James Bond isn't a code name then, because his last name is Bond. Oh, don't get me started on that <laughs> stupid bloody list. Oh, I hate that. If, you, if you're listening to this and you think that, then first of all, this proves it wrong. Also, you're a fool. <laughs> a damn fool. A uh, damn fool. But yeah, I don't think they ever showed that before. But yeah, this is it. it here's a Bond. Um, but I think the only thing that might like, because I was thinking about this for two reasons in this film. The first one is this, about that idea about it being the code name. And the first one was like, well, no, that's not true because of this. But then they do have it that Silver had a completely different name before. Um, but I think the idea is that once he got, uh, once he changed, you know, once he burnt himself with the cyanide and became a criminal, he just gave himself a new name, I yeah. believe. Uh, so not nothing really to do with MI6, but something that got me thinking about that stuff about changing names, because he has two names in the film. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, if Bond had turned bad, who knows what his name would have been. But uh, James Bond is a pretty cool name, so yeah, makes sense why he'd keep it that. <laughs> oh, actually, no, I don't think James... Well, actually, I take that back. Like, James Bond is a cool name now, but I think Ian Fleming picked James Bond because it was quite a very average name. Like, we yep. know James Bond now, but yeah. See, at the time, it was just a name. Um, yeah, so we see inside the, the chapel, and Emma is sitting there because she's obviously got her wounds... And we see Silver enter from the back. So she's at the front and, and Silver enters from the back. Um, and he starts walking up to her and starts saying, it had to be here, it had to be this way. And as he's walking, Kincaid comes through another door to the side and is kind of in the middle of saying something, but just gets immediately cut off by Silver, who shoots near him around the doorframe, but doesn't actually shoot Kincaid, doesn't kill him, and just tells him to, to stop. Or don't, I think he says. And yeah, he comes up to M and there's like all that, still that lighting bleeding through from the windows, those colours, the reds and the oranges, and a flickering. And 
he spots that M is bleeding quite heavily. And he says, you know, what have they done to you? Because of what he said before, you know, he they wanted uh, M to be left for him. So this is where he starts to get all very emotional and he starts to uh, like sound like he's in a very creepy way, obviously, like caring for her. Like, what have they done to you? And he, he touches her face and he brings up his gun that he's got on him and he it's almost as if he's just about to like shoot her square in the face. Uh, but, but no, he's like grimacing as he's doing this and it's as if he can't bring himself to do it. But actually what he's doing is um, he's taking the gun and he puts it in her hand as if she can pull the trigger and presses it against her head and puts his head next to hers and says to her, free both of us with the same bullet. Do it, only you can do it. So yeah, we're getting this kind of murder-suicide pact thing going on here with Silver and M, which is interesting. I can't say I really saw that coming, but I guess it's maybe... Because at first you kind of think, well, Silver, he just wants to see M. That's what he says, and presumably wants to kill her, but now it's kind it's of escalated to maybe now that he's done that, he has nothing to live for, so he is also going to take himself out as well. Yeah, I tie this a bit to what we see with a lot of Bond villains that as they get further and further in, they just become more deranged. Yeah. So Because initially his plan was just to go into the thing and just shoot her, and that was that. But yeah, now exactly, yeah. he's become so obsessed and done all of this and everything that's played out, he's just lost it even more. So now he's just trying to find this like perfect moment that has this all make sense, which, you know, again, he's just he's just lost it completely at this point. So I, I tie that to that. It's it's quite uncomfortable, to be honest. Yes. He always does too good of a job uh, having a of portraying this. It's very uncomfortable, uh, mm. but that that is the point. But as he's got the gun up and, and next to her, uh, we hear kind of, we see him from the front and we hear an impact, like a kind of fleshy impact. And he, he rises up in agony and kind of falls backwards. And, and we see Bond is at the entrance and he's thrown a knife into Silver's back. Uh, no guns, no guns. It's the old fashioned way, as Kincaid said earlier on. So he turns and <laughs> he like makes this noise. I was like, oh really god <laughs> it's, like so, it's so annoyed it's like a teenager girl like oh <laughs> and he starts to walk over to bond um but eventually he just like collapses before he can get to him but just before he dies he's on the ground and bond walks up and says last rat standing and with that silver falls to the the ground dead that's the end of silver it's a good line i don't think craig delivers it too well oh really what last rat standing yeah Oh, I can't. I can't really recall it. He just like leans forward a bit, and then it's like last rat standing. Like I don't know. I didn't want it to be over the top or anything, but it it felt like it's. Yeah, I don't know because obviously it's Bond and he quips and stuff. And is this meant to be a cool line? I'm not too sure, and I'm not too sure if they knew. So it, it just feels a little bit off. But I do really like the line. I think that's a really good line. You know what? Kincaid should have said it. He would have said it in a cool way. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Scotland. Last rat standing. Jumps on his bike. <laughs> Leaves. Bye. Um, anyway, no, this is a serious moment, Tom. Come on now. Oh, yes. Sorry. But, uh, but I guess with Silver in general, though, it's like, yeah, obviously a really great villain. Um, although, like, the death, I think, is pretty good. But it's also another one that's interesting. It's it's taken this villain and they don't do what they did with Green, where they're like, well, we have to fight Bond. 
Duh. God, can you imagine if he didn't fist fight Bond, how ridiculous we would look? And they were just smart with what type of villain this was and gave him like an appropriate death. But really, this is all about M. So I always see this final showdown with him to be more about the final showdown with M. And Bond is just the one that stops him at the end. So really that moment with the gun and grabbing her and kind of aiming it is that's the final showdown really because, you know, I I choose to see this more as M's story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely more weight put on that. In fact, it's almost kind of he gets a very kind of pathetic death, doesn't he? All the drama and all that, like he has to make an entrance stuff, but he just gets stabbed in the back. Like that's it. And then he just falls down, he dies. It's quite a... um. Yeah, compared to the character we've seen and the craziness and the weirdness he has, it's just he dies, which is something they've done before, but it it still works. Yeah, the payoff is what is about to happen next, almost. It's not this big moment where Bond takes out the villain and then says a line. That happens, but it's almost secondary, which is okay by me. Yeah, in this scenario, it makes a lot of sense. So Silver's dead and M is there and... He says, uh, what took you so long? And I like how Bond like starts to go for a quip that like, I got into some deep water. Uh, but then as he says that, M starts to fall over with her wounds. And uh, that, that's like, oh, crap, like, this is actually a serious moment, Bond. No time for a quip. Let's run on over. This is serious. Uh, and he, he goes and, and grabs her and, and holds her in his arms and looks over to Kincaid, who's looking obviously very solemn over to the side. He sort of knows the writings on the wall, I suppose. And M is in his arms and and is looking up and saying, I suppose it's too late to make a run for it. To which Bond says, I'm game if you are. And I love how, like, you can see he's trying to have a little smile there as he says that, uh, but, but can't really muster it fully. And Bond kind of, uh, sorry, M looks at Bond's face, like really intensely looks, like looks over Bond's face as she's there dying and and says, I did get one thing right. And as she does that, she kind of takes her last breath and she dies. And as this happens, you know, we're now hearing almost a kind of heavenly choral sound in the background quietly, but Bond closes her eyes as she dies. And the horns that we've heard so many times now, like M's sound of this film, they they softly rise back up again, but they have like a different connotation now. Whereas before it was kind of, I don't know, they had almost a bit of power. Well, not power, but like it was M trying to fight back and now it's in a completely different, more solemn scenario you're hearing them. And, oh, it's just great. It's just great. Bond, uh, I don't know if Bond actually does cry. It definitely makes face I like he I saw is. tears. Like it's not yeah. a proper cry. It's more just like tears rolling down the face. Yeah, a bit of a starting to weep a little bit, only very slightly at the beginning. But yeah, um, goes and kisses her on the forehead. And then you just get this shot from behind, kind of slowly pulling backwards. You have the back of Bond with M in his hands and Kincaid off to the side. And that's when you're hearing those horns and Kincaid's taking his hat off at this point in respect. And it's like a real, um, it's a real moment. It's a very emotional moment. Like they, this is an important character, a big character of the franchise, huge character, and they play it for everything it's worth. And they don't, cut corners in any way and i i really i really appreciate that they gave judy such a good send-off mm, yeah perfect it, it's all just perfect i love that it is just like one last joke and 
and then she says i did get one thing right and it just the it just means so much like this isn't a big long thing like Mathis' death in the last one was still pretty good but i think it's so much more appropriate with these characters that m actually only gets like one line and but it's a really good one <laughs> and it it works really well and it's good to see bond actually be affected by this I don't know how much I really see this in terms of the parallels of M was his parental figure and now he's returned home and his parental figure has died again. Do I you think not? that's probably what they were going for. I kind of mm. don't think about that too much. Oh, okay, that's interesting. I, I think that's, that's somewhat what they're trying to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's a little bit of that and... Yeah, again, it's all just done so well. Like, you kind of knew this was coming, right? Like, once M got shot, she was never going to just be all right. So you kind of knew this was coming. But, I don't know, I almost kind of... I like the idea of M saying how, like, I'll leave when the job is done. And she stays alive just long enough for that to happen and then dies. Yeah. Like, it ties into that so well. It ties into her character as a whole and... Uh, yeah it, it's just perfect like everything that judy dench has been in this franchise is just so good just so so good all the lines have been great characterization and it's it's really amazing that they just took the time to kind of give her character a send-off with skyfall and it's just massively appreciated and it's so impressive that they were able to kind of pull off this story and give her a like a proper send-off like it's it's 10 out of 10 stuff because of that yeah and this is what I kind of saying earlier when I was mentioning about catharsis being not so much the bond parent stuff, but like this, I mean, I, I, I do see the parental stuff, the link quite there quite strongly. So I, to me, like that, that is the catharsis of this film. It's the end of this relationship of these two characters that we have seen be built up now for three films. And it is especially poignant because you, you know that, okay, get rid of all the continuity stuff. Then that M was Judy was M in Pierce Brosnan's time, but M was there for Craig, Craig's Bond becoming double O. Like she has seen him grow, and there is that that like sentimentality between between her and Bond, and there is that relationship which probably goes a bit above beyond above and beyond what that should be. Uh, and and Bond is like witnessing the end of that because obviously like that's never how it used to be with M before. Like M was a lot grumpier and. And a lot more just that's his boss and that's Bond. And yeah, I think it's just an end of an era <laughs> to, to sound quite dramatic. But yeah, I, I, I think it was really good. Such a good decision to do it here as well. I, I did read at one point that they were thinking of killing off uh, Judy Dench in Quantum of Solace, which oh. I don't know how that would have gone, but probably very badly. God, so no. yeah, I'm glad we get this whole film basically, which is M's film. And they did it well. <laughs> Do you think they would have put like Judy Dench covered in oil on the bed? <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind, Judy? Do you mind? No, she would be drowned in bourbon. Oh, yes. <laughs> Her she lungs died while she lived. <laughs> Drowning in bourbon. <laughs> Come on now, Tommy. Must not speak all of the dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's what she would have wanted. Uh, but is, I, I will really also is. say I do appreciate that, like, in terms of the theming of the film about your past coming back to catch you, it also makes sense that she does die. Like, not to sound mean, I'm not going to say she deserves to die, but it is almost like she's being punished for all the horrible things she did. But as kind of Bond said, you were just doing your job and 
it's something that you think about throughout the film about what's right what's wrong and did she do the right thing and stuff and she's someone who has to make all these really harsh decisions and i think it she was always going to end this way and her kind of being killed on the job makes sense because yeah she she did do all these horrible things and was involved in all this stuff so it makes sense to me that she would die because of it again i'm not going to say she deserves it but it's like this is like a natural point that she would she doesn't just get to go she kind of gets killed doing this stuff but she did the right thing and there's almost like that thing oh that line where she said i did get one thing right it all ties into that right it's like she was killed because of silver who was someone she failed but she didn't fail bond and that's the one thing she doesn't regret even though she does have regrets it's like oh yeah it's, it's like great all that stuff. stuff ties in so well it really is it's so good it's so that's the sort of stuff that makes this film really kind of stand out above others is that you get you just get all that there's just so much you can look into and you can just oh it's just so satisfying i love that stuff yes i love m dying too joe i'm with you <laughs> the job's done <laughs> You know what? I you know you can take that out of context. I don't care because man, it works. It works. M can so, die all the time. That's fine, some fine. good. <laughs> no, I won't finish that. Uh, so I knew what you were going to say. Then <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, so we then cut to London. So it ended quite quietly. That scene with the shot of the chapel zooming out, and we cut to London during the day, and it's not raining. Oh, what? The sun has come out. A rainbow... No, not quite. <laughs> it's still grey. <laughs> still miserable, just not raining. Um, so Bond is like standing on a rooftop overlooking London and Eve comes up and approaches Bond and she's like, wow, I didn't know even know you could come up here and Bond says, I would hate to waste a view. And Bond asks her about going back into active service and she says, I declined and... She's like, as you said, field work's not for everyone. And Bond jokes that he feels much safer hearing that. So Eve explains that M's will was read today and she left you this and hands Bond a, a box and Bond opens the box and it's the British Bulldog statue. Aww. And Eve says, maybe it's her way of telling you to take a desk job, of which Bond replies just the opposite, which is also really, really nice. It's uh, yeah. because, yeah, it's the opposite because he hated it and it kind of represents a desk job. And it's kind of like him hating that almost represents how much he dislikes that kind of lifestyle. So it's almost like M sending it to him is a is to remind him of that. He hates it. <laughs> so keep to going. Keep doing what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. And you're just saying that because you've got one. And it reminds jets. me every day to never take a desk Shut job up. as well. <laughs> I, I'm going to keep murdering um, <laughs> around the world. I won't stop. No, never. Never. Um, so then we cut to Bond and Eve entering into this room, and it looks a little bit familiar. Hmm. Uh, but Bond says, uh, we've never been introduced. And she says, I'm Eve Moneypenny. <gasps> that's that's her. And Bond says, I look forward to our time together, Miss Moneypenny. And she ends up sitting down at a very, like, at her desk. And it looks very much like the older Bond films a little bit. And then Tanner comes out of a door in the office and he says, he'll see you now. And we hear the Bond theme creeping in. And he goes through the door and we see Mannery at a desk. And he's kind of got his arms in a sling because he got shot before. And Bond's like, how's the arm, sir? And 
he says, oh, well, yeah, it's fine. Um, and then he's like, so 007, lots to be done. Are you ready to get back to work? And then we end on a shot where Bond says, with pleasure, M, with pleasure. And then the circles come across the screen as we hear the Bond theme and he shoots the barrel and, and then like, what, 50 years of Bond appears and it says James Bond will return. And we go into the credits with a full swing Bond theme playing. So this was all a setup for returning to the old Bond, I suppose. Yep. Yeah. And uh, when they say return, it's like that is literally the return, even down to that strange padded door. It's it's back. Oh, wow. What an ending, though. Like what I do have. I, I wish I remembered more about seeing this in the cinema, but I'm sure like that is such an ending. It's such an ending for a Bond fan. We've had, well, by this point, what it would have been, I guess, 20 years, uh, not 20 years, sorry, 10 years since, like, any sort of elements of, like, the old school Bond stuff. They they made a very conscious decision to strip that back for Craig, and, and then we've finally reached that point once again. And it just felt, it just felt so good, you know what I mean? Just, ah, oh, they see in the old office, Money Penny there. I know I've had issues with Money Penny throughout the film, but yeah, she's back. M's back, or a different M's back, and M's back. <laughs> M's back. Corpse is back. I thought at the you were dead. Weekend at Bernie's style. <laughs> Weekend at M's. <laughs> but yeah, like it's it's such a feel good moment to end a film, which is what I think ultimately a film needs to do. Well, at least, well, no, that's not true. It doesn't always need to make you feel good, but I think Bond films do, um, which is why there's a certain issue I have with another one. But yeah, I loved it. What a great ending. Yeah, like you get a very somber moment with M and stuff. So they they have then that quieter scene to then transition you over to this. But to have like it get you really excited, it's so cool. Yeah. It does get you really pumped up. And what I massively appreciate is that they spent a film establishing Money Penny and it's a very different Money Penny. And, you know, you can argue about the dialogue or stuff, but I love that there is kind of this history between the two yeah and it's not the same one that we've had before but it's something and it's quite interesting that money penny being a former agent that shot bond so there's a back and forth there that's great and mallory has been really well established throughout this film as someone who's tough but also talks a lot like he's also a bit of a stickler for the rules but not always and will doesn't care about batting head with bond but also seems to have people's back like when they came to m like, sometimes he was harsh, sometimes he wasn't harsh. Like, he was strict but fair. Very much that classic M feel, like that, you know, headmaster sort of thing. Like, all telling them off, but also trying to help them out. It's that sort of thing. So, there's also that relationship here. And we get that established with this film. And it just makes it, once again, so satisfying to see all these elements were actually there the entire time. And then at the end, they just put it all together to give you this really fun great ending and a really great feeling at the end so it's just like it's just so smart like they reinvented this in such a smart way that you didn't even know it was happening but then you look back and like oh oh that's awesome i yeah. love it you realize like finally well i mean yeah some of it was obvious maybe where it was going especially once you see that m is is on the way out the old m um and then you think about all the characters they've set up, but like when it all just fits together in that last moment and you have the Bond theme and have with pleasure, sir, or with pleasure, M. Oh, yeah. And also the devil's in the detail, as I said before, but with this film, I just want to quickly point out because 
I mentioned about the painting um, in the queue scene, which is of that old ship being dragged away for scrap. And they they went in with this scene and put another painting, kind of quite clear in the background between Bond and M. And it's a very similar sort of style of painting. I don't think it's a Turner one, but it is of, instead of it being a, a ship being hauled away for scrapped, I actually looked it up and it's a painting of um, the Battle of Trafalgar, which is obviously a victorious battle. And it's just, you know, it's the little things like that, symbolic there of Bond is back, is back on top. It's just a uh, cherry on the cake. Yeah, cherry on the cake, as they say. Um, but yeah, very great stuff. It's just, I mean, it's a little bit of a shame that it took three films to get here, although I mostly blame Quantum of Solace for that. And that eventually after these films... There's not really any payoff for it, but I won't linger on that too much. It still works really well in the context of this film, but maybe in the context of the franchise as a whole, it's like, well, we had five Craig films and it took us three bloody films to get to this point. And then we only have two. And the fifth one is such a definitive ending that does things so differently that I was like, oh, what was the point in all this? But again, I won't criticize this film for that. It still works really well for what it was doing. It's just a shame we rebuilt Bond to get to this point and then it just kind of doesn't actually pay off, really. Oh, don't remind me, Tom. I know where yeah, we're going with these films. And yeah, you're like in isolation, this is just uh, such a great foundation for, for Craig to go off. It's a shame he just uh, didn't do the old Roger Moore and make like six more films. <laughs> I, yeah, what a shame. <laughs> what a shame, eh? Uh, yeah, so that was Skyfall. Oh, all right, Joe. Well, it's you to go first. Okay. Um, yeah, I feel like when when it's a film that I like, it's like, well, come on now. Like, this is... why Do I really need to say anything? But yeah. Uh, it's a podcast, so that would be preferable. We, we should probably say something. Um, <laughs> we Just read the poem mentioned... again. <laughs> to strive to seek. No. Um, <laughs> we mentioned earlier about not being able to pick a favourite scene and that... that in in like the best way possible there is just so many elements of this film and so many uh sequences that just work from the very beginning of the pre-tart sequence throughout the shanghai casino um the the island the abandoned island elements of the i won't say all of the scottish thing for me but like the you know the the post fire all that stuff beautiful and in terms of like beautiful yeah like visually this is by far um but as of as of doing this podcast, like the most beautiful Bond film, uh, I don't know if this won in the Oscars or anything for for that sort of stuff, but it should have because um, it just looks great. It looks great. I mean, for a Bond film, it looks amazing. For just a regular film, it looks great. Um, so this guy you know, just interrupted the cinematographer. He didn't win anything for this one, but after this film, he got he won two Oscars for cinematography. Okay, one so, is nineteen seventeen, and one is something I don't remember. But yeah, so. He probably should have done for this one, but because it's Bond, it didn't. But yeah, he did then get two Oscars after the fact. Okay. Oh, 1917 was Sam Mendes too. I guess yep. they're a collaborative partnership. Um, so yeah, like it's, honestly, you could hate Bond and you could still watch his film and just appreciate the look of it, I think. Uh, and then we mentioned a lot at the end there, but just what they do with dedicating this film to M. M is the Bond girl here. All right, not in that sense of being the Bond girl, but she is the the star of it. Like Bond does have his own elements, but we've just had two films of Bond with his trauma and stuff. So it 
it gave time to Judy. It sent gave her a send off for which she was deserving. She'd been in the franchise for many, many years at this point. And they did that in a satisfying way to also bring new characters in to fill those gaps and bring back characters that the fans were all waiting for. Um, Q, Money Penny. It's uh, honestly how they did so many things right in this film is surprising. Like, I, I feel like there should have been something that went massively wrong. But no, like it all just seems to work. Um, any of the London stuff, I didn't even mention when we were talking about the underground stuff, but it's so good to see Bond in the tube. Like he was in the yeah. tube in Dial of the Day, but not in that sense. Like this is like in the thick of very, very British, you know, and I don't want to get too like flag wavy patriotic, but it's great to see a British character like that actually doing things here in London and Scotland. And it's just, uh, yeah, they they made some very clever choices for it being the 50th anniversary, I think. So, yeah, I won't go on too much longer. I feel like I could be here all day. Then my issue came to where to place it in the ranking. Because um, before I watched this, I was convinced I was actually going to put this below From Russia of Love. And I say... Because yeah, that's not I, where it started with you in your initial rankings. No. Yeah, so this was number two, I believe. Just, yes. Just below Casino Royale. But I think the reason why I was thinking that, and this is one of those things where the way we're watching it is just by this point in time, I was maybe craving a little bit of like Sean Connery or Roger Moore again, but I had to stop myself. <laughs> you get that weekly, the Roger Moore thing, don't you? <laughs> I have my Take your pills for that. Um, <laughs> but no, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. We've we've now reached up to Craig and it's like, oh man, it would be nice to go back to Sean Connery again or Russia of Love. But I had to sort of stop myself a little bit from that because I know that's actually not the case. Like if I, well, actually this, I'm sounding like a hypocrite now because I think I've said in the past, like just take it for how you're feeling. But after watching this, it kind of all came back to me of like how much I enjoyed this film and that this is one of those films that you could just so easily jump into and watch any time really you have to be in a certain mood to watch some of the older bond films but skyfall i think is just such a watchable film um and so then i was thinking well if it's going above for rush of love is it better or worse than sky uh, than casino royale and that's a very tricky one they're both very good for different ways one is as we said more about him one is bond's origin and i think because of that because it is the bond franchise i think casino royale does just tip the scales because it is bond and it is where bond starts and that is still going to remain my number one so yeah skyfall is going in at uh, number two just where i thought it would from the very beginning mm. got close i got close it honestly it was very close but uh no because i do have a soft spot for casino royale so mm. okay well yeah no real surprises though no not at all yeah so for me this is i guess somewhat of a hard one to talk about because this is not just one of my favorite Bond films. It's one of my favorite films of all time. It's just fantastic. It's just visually is an absolute treat. The audio is an absolute treat. I think the characterization is very well done. I just think they really just get the most out of Judy Dench and M, and that's amazing. And it's something that so much of this stuff is just classic Bond, but they just find really interesting ways to update it and present it in a way you haven't really seen before. And it just creates a film that just like oozes style and class and that's something that bond should do but it it just does it in a way that is just so much more successful than some other films it's it's warm to look at but it's harsh to look at it's just all these little things and you know i'm such a sucker as you know from goldeneye about 
someone who has clearly or filmmakers who put a lot of thought in their films and have all this stuff that ties together in a way that's really satisfying and skyfall is just absolutely filled with that which to me just makes it such a a great experience and Mm. oh god i don't even know what else to say about it it's just so good i think every act is strong and i guess i'll try and get into some negatives i suppose like i definitely can can see how some of the stuff with the age stuff isn't great and you know this is also another long bond film it's 143 minutes so we are very much in this era of craig films just being very long and it doesn't i think it kind of justifies it but yeah like i'm never looking at my watch during this film but i think that's more about how captivating the film is itself and we just have a really great new villain with silver like he's just amazing he's such a strong presence on screen and they kind of tie him with M and Bond. And it just makes you think about all these things about Bond. And it's just, yeah, it's just such a smart reinvention of it. And I think it's a, a lot better reinvention than Casino Royale, in my opinion. Because it kind of pulls in more of those elements. And it feels less like a tease. Where I feel like Casino Royale at this stage is a bit more of a tease. Um, but I think they did a great job with Q. I think Money Penny is, you know, I know there was some problems with dialogue, but I still think she's pretty good. And I love having Mallory in there and having him become M and just seeing all this stuff play out. It's just, it's just such a great film. It's just so smart, so well put together. So many elements work and it's exciting when it needs to be. Like everything just works. It's just one of them uh, that it's hard to talk about because I just love it. It's great. So with that, no change for me. It's going at number one. Uh, oh. like there was never really that much of a doubt that oh, wow. it was going number one i i really thought goldeneye would stay on top no oh. like i i kind of feel similar like about both of these films but i do think overall skyfall is just better <laughs> it's hard to compare certain elements but i guess i have less problems with skyfall than i do goldeneye and both skyfall and goldeneye kind of hit me in those similar ways of I have a lot of nostalgia for them, I'll be honest. Although Skyfall, I was older, and they both have this class and style to them, and they're both smart reinventions of Bond. But Skyfall has the better villain, and I think it still has a lot of memorable characters and lines as well. So, you know, Golden Oak Casino Royale is more closely related, but Skyfall, I think, is probably a more successful overall Bond film than Goldeneye was, as good as Goldeneye was. Uh, but this film's just fantastic. So for me, it kind of has to go number one above Goldeneye. And it also made a humongous amount of money. So <laughs> yeah, clearly they did something right. Yeah, that was somewhat me. I did see it twice. <laughs> <laughs> this little percentage is you, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I, there wasn't much doubt for me. It was I went into it thinking it was going to be number one and watching it again and breaking it down. Yeah, this is just one of my favourite films ever. So it's number one. It's my favourite Bond film. So I have a question for you, Tom. All right. We're up to, what is this, 20? It's 23, this one. It's 23, this one. We have two more to go. The next film, Vector, same director. Yeah. Same, uh, a lot of the same actors. Right. We've all been set up with M and and Q and that. Love it. Uh, Same uh, music guy. (laughs) Same music guy, yep. (laughs) Same music guy. Don't know if it's the same cinematographer, perhaps. Oh, I'm not sure, actually. Lots of the same stuff. So my question, Tom, is with Spectre, what happened? <laughs> what happened? I think you're a 
trying to extend the episode quite a bit there by asking these questions. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a can of worms, isn't it? All right. Yeah, we've got a we got a lot of time next week to open that can, but <sighs> but it just does make me boggles my mind all the more when we've just went through this film and how much we loved it and what we've got coming up next. Oh boy, I shudder. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one because I know where you ranked it, but it wasn't mm-hmm. in my bottom five, so <laughs> it's going to be a fun one. Oh yeah. Well, fun's not the right word, but. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get through it maybe. we'll get through it yeah oh man Skyfall's so good like the when I watched this this time as well it took me like four hours because I kept pausing <laughs> so, some of that was to do notes because I just loved the dialogue so much that I wanted to write all this stuff down like I I went and copied and pasted that poem to put into my notes so I could read it <laughs> I did think that your notes are probably just the script by this point <laughs> pre- yeah for this film it was like there was not much like of stuff I liked and stuff or disliked it it's just like well, I know I love Skyfall, so I just need to kind of have a write this stuff down and then I can just say how much I, I really like it. So that yeah. that is pretty much it. Oh, right. So any last thoughts before we go, Joe? Um, I think how many times have I, we ended this podcast where I'm like, I need to go buy something now. And I still haven't. I still haven't bought that Dove pin. You didn't get the pin. No, I didn't buy the pin yet. Oh, oh. silly me. Now I need to go. Add, uh, it's a good thing. Maybe I can get it, you know, save on delivery because now I'm going to go get that bulldog as well. Oh, yeah. I'll send you oh, a picture yeah. of mine. No, no, no. That's fine. You don't no, need to I'll send, do that. No, there's no trouble. <laughs> Please. No, no. Don't, oh, worry. don't worry about it. <laughs> when we went to go see the, I think I already told you this, but when we went I to go and see I that concert, it. they were selling them the No Time to Die version. Can't, can't believe I missed that. I kick myself. Honestly, what a time to have bought it. The memory associated to it as well. Ugh. I would have Ooh. signed it for you as well. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's great. Right on the uh, face. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I look at it, I think of you. Oh, oh well, on that note. <laughs> at least I got one thing right. Oh. oh. All right, then. So thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode 23 of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week for Spectre. <laughs>